Welcome to the Been There, Got Out podcast. I'm Lisa, a state certified domestic violence advocate and veteran of more than eight years in the trenches of the legal system, the last five successfully representing myself. And I'm Chris. I'm a certified high conflict divorce coach. And between the two of us, we have all this knowledge and experience that we never wanted. But now we can put it to great use, providing expert guidance to people in high conflict divorce and custody situations so you have the best chance in court and beyond. Having the right support from people who get it is so critical to getting you and your children through it as unscathed as possible. And that's exactly what we do through our interviews with experts and other content right here on this podcast. So let's get to it. In this episode of the Been There, Got Out podcast, we welcome Minnesota family lawyer, Kathy Jones, who talks about the important stuff you need to know to properly prepare for divorce, including some things to think about if you move out of the house, exactly why to be very careful with posting anything on social media again, and what to know about removing items from your home both before and after a divorce is finalized. Check out Kathy's second Saturday divorce support group to find out more info, as well as wife.org. Take it away, Lisa. It's Lisa from Been There, Got Out. I think our guest has updated her Instagram and hopefully should be able to get on here. So tonight's guest, or tonight where I am, um, in New York or Connecticut, is um, Kathy Jones. She's from Rochester. There she is. Let me get her on here. Okay. Yes, I think so. All right. So um, when she said she was from Rochester, I assumed that she was from New York, but she's not from the Midwest. Oh, and Kathy, you did what, oh, there you are. I did what I was doing, like the camera facing the wrong way. So that was pretty good. I, you know, it goes to show you how often I'm on Instagram, so. (laughs) Well, you did it, and and you did it pretty quickly. So thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us. So tell us, you're not in Rochester, New York, where I assume. Tell us where you are and who you are and a little bit about your background. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get this set up there so you can see me okay. That's okay. Um, I already told told you it's your first time. No problem. Um, Yeah, I'm from... I work in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and it's where I'm from, Um, and I've been doing family law for a little over three years now, and I am married. I have a son. He's three years old, and um, yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay, so what made you get into the contentious area of family law? A lot of people, Um, a lot of lawyers I talked to are like, I don't want to do that. They're like, it's crazy in the courtroom, and we know all about that, and I told you, Right now, you're speaking to a community of people who are dealing with high conflict in family court or, you know, whether it's divorce, separation, or post-judgment matters. Yeah. Honestly, it kind of just happened. Um, Like I said, I've only been doing it for about three years, so it started out, you know, not those types of cases, and now I've had a few of them. Um, One that's pretty personal to me that I've been working on. So that's kind of gotten me into it a little bit more too. So, yeah. Do you notice that you um, deal with these cases differently or do you tell, sorry, I'm going to photobomb with our little puppy Rizzo again. Um, Do you notice that you handle those cases differently or how do you handle those cases differently? 
Yeah, they definitely have to be handled different. Um, you know, it's, it, I kind of go into it just thinking that I'm going to have to do all of the legwork or me and my client are going to have to do all the legwork. Like you can't rely, you know, on, you know, in other situations, you have the other attorney and the client, they also want to get it done, right? People don't want to be in court. Most people want to, to settle and, and resolve their issues. But in the high conflict cases, they usually want a fight. They want to prolong it. They want to, you know, use it as a control method. Um, so just right from the beginning, I kind of just go in knowing that I'm going to have to do more work. My client's going to have to do some more work to find out um, you know, what the assets are and work a little bit harder, um, to, especially if there's kids involved. You know, might yeah, have to do intervention earlier as opposed to, you know, trying to do kind of informal mediation or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, so tonight's topic we had said was going to be how to properly prepare for a divorce and hopefully avoid the long-term consequences that unfortunately a lot of our people come to our doorsteps saying, I can't, I made this really bad mistake and I don't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I hope that this, this live will help teach them a little bit about the things they can do properly so that they can protect themselves and hopefully save some time, money, and energy. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And um, if anybody has questions or I don't know if they come up on there, yeah. you can, Ask them, feel free to interrupt and ask me some questions. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so they'll probably do it as we go. But tell us, like, from the beginning, if somebody's thinking, like, just yesterday, I was talking to someone who said that their friend uh, knows that the relationship is over but is not ready to take the steps. And I, I think they're afraid. I think they've told family members. Family members are saying, you can't, you can't do this. You can't, you shouldn't break up the family so they're feeling a lot of angst about the whole thing and they're terrified that if they leave the relationship their ex is going to keep the kids away from them yeah so the kids are typically one of the bigger issues that we encounter because i mean unfortunately in the high conflict cases people use them as a weapon or a tool to maintain control um so as far as preparing for that or most of the preparation, honestly, has to do more with the financials leading up to it. Um, so what that would look like. But um, as far as issues with the kids, those are more where I see people do things that have those long-term consequences. Um, so one thing I tell clients is, it, and I start with this one because it kind of bleeds into all the other areas, but be on your best behavior as, as best as you can, which is very hard in situations, especially if you have, you know, some, a narcissistic partner or something like that. But um, think about social media posts, especially text messages, emails. Um, I tell clients, imagine having to read that to a judge and what that might feel like or what they might think of that. Um, and, and really just focus on prioritizing their needs the best that you can. In yeah. Okay, let's, let's pause at the um, being on your best behavior because I think we, can, we should go into a little more detail about that. 
I'm really glad you mentioned the thing about being careful about posting on social media because that's a big topic in this community. A lot of people feel like they need social media um, to help them recover and understand and heal. But often we know based on interviews with attorneys and our clients' experiences that those things can turn into um, fodder for the other side to flip into a story which will make them look bad. Yeah. Um, have you found out that, that that's true as well? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I tell people have kind of a trusted friend that you can say, you know, I'm thinking of posting this. Should I post this? Or, or what do you think? <laughs> and, you know, not someone that's just going to go along with it and agree with you, but really will say, yeah, I think you might want to rethink that before you, you post it. Okay. okay. Another and, thing. And, go sorry. ahead. It can be really hard, right? Because when you're going through this really difficult situation, you want, you know, a lot of people I see, they want the support. And so, you know, if you put it out there, people are, oh, I'm here for you, or I'm thinking about you. And it can be a lot of positive, you know, reactions. Um, but yeah, I, I usually try to have people stay away from doing things like that on social media. Right, especially during an active case. Yes. That's what we tell our clients. It's very, very difficult for a lot of them because our clients and our people in this community, many have been so isolated that um, they feel like, sorry, dog, dog's barking. Um, they feel like they, they really need people that they meet online because these cases are common, but they're also rare. In the divorce world, we've, we've found that it's only like 5 to 7% of the cases are extraordinarily high conflict. So like when I go out when in the beginning, years ago, when I talked to people about what was happening, they'd be like, what? Like my divorce is nothing like that. And so it ends up feeling even more um, isolating when it's like, and you're already blaming yourself for what's going on. So it can be really tricky. But it is yeah. it is something to think about, like you said, like it's it's better. I feel like every lawyer we talk to says don't do it, but so many clients are like, but why? But I need to. And the other thing, and this was just recently, but um, for older kids, if your kids have social media, their friends have social media, so they might be able to see your posts, and then it, you know, it just kind of bleeds into their their, their friends and their relationships, and you know, if you could shelter the kids usually as much as possible from the conflict is always a good idea. And I think, again, putting it on social media can kind of, uh, it, it can, it can spread to the kids and, and their friends too. And that's, yeah, and that's exactly, that's exactly what we found from um, people we know who've been to court and had it used against them where the other side was able to say, look, they're putting this stuff out there. The kids are seeing it. The kids' friends are seeing it. The kids' friends' parents are seeing it. And so even though, so even if you're not like friends with your kid on social media, other people are telling them and they're learning about it. And that's one of the things that the courts really don't like to see, right? Because they want the kids to be shielded as much as possible. Um, something else you mentioned was about being careful with text messages and emails. And I know in my own situation years ago, during the discovery process, my ex's attorney asked for everything, like pages and pages including all of my text messages all of my emails that had anything to do that even referred to him in any way but also my private journals that i i mean i've journaled since i was 13 years old and i was like 
how, how could they do the myelitis if, if they ask for it? Technically, you have to give that up. And I think people don't realize that whenever there's some kind of footprint, some kind of anything in writing, it can be found. We often hear things like, well, what if I'm in a private Facebook group? But we've also been told and we've had clients' experiences, you don't know who's in those groups. You don't know who's taking screenshots. You don't know who's spying. And anything that you put out there can be used, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. The digital age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so what are some other things that you think might be helpful when preparing? Um, yeah, the other well, – Another long-term consequence that I'll talk about too, which is probably the second most common thing I get after you know dealing with kids, is can I move out of the house or should I move out of the house and what does that look like? Um, my general answer to people is if you want to keep the house or stay in the house, you really shouldn't leave. And that can be really hard, again, in, especially in high-conflict situations because obviously you don't get along. Um, so that, that can be really difficult for people. Um, and I would suggest that, you know, you look into alternatives, you know, especially if you feel unsafe, there are different things you can do in, in Minnesota to be in order for protection that might say, you know, the other person isn't allowed in the house. So that can be separation, um, while everything's kind of pending because frankly, nothing moves quickly through the court system. Um, so I, I caution people about moving out and the effects that could have on property division. You know, if you stop paying the mortgage or contributing to the to the mortgage at all, um, it can affect ownership. Like I said, it, it, it's not dispositive by any means, but it could impact whether you're awarded the house in the end if, if it's something you really want to keep. Um, and then the biggest one is it can affect your access to your kids because if the kids are staying in the house, you know, you're living with a friend or your parents or, you know, you can't get your own place yet. Your access to the kids is affected. Um, and that could be really hard. So, you know, I usually tell people, again, if you're in an unsafe situation, definitely look for another route to stay in the house if you can. Um, otherwise, um, document when you try to see the kids that you you know, make sure it's obvious that you are trying to see them and you want to see them because if the other parent is preventing you from seeing the kids, that would negatively affect their case in the future. Um, so I always tell people, document, keep a calendar. Um, and, and those are kind of the big issues with the house. I want to, as far as I want to mention something about, I want to ask you something about the house, but first, before I do, um, somebody asked the question, what is a quit deed? A quit claim deed? They just said a quit deed. I've never heard of that, so I'm curious if you know what that is. Yep, I do. So um, it's basically, it would be like a deed where you were transferring it to, I mean, it's a deed, so you transfer title to someone else. Usually a quit claim deed is done after a divorce if the house is in both parties' names to transfer it to the other spouse. Um, in Minnesota, you don't have to do that. There are other ways to do it, get an order from the court, or just use your divorce decree. Um, but a quick claim deed is one way to do that. And okay. I, have seen, I have seen people do it before they're actually divorced. Um, 
And in Minnesota, it, until you're actually divorced, you have a signed document, they're always going to have a marital interest. So you'd want to wait to do that until after you're divorced. Okay, interesting. And then another thing um, about the house, something that um, we had read was you have to be careful if you have an argument with your spouse, if they say, well, why don't you calm down and go stay in a hotel for a couple of days, that they can also use that against you and claim abandonment. Have you heard of something like that? Um, I mean, I've heard of it. I, you know, if it's a couple of days, I don't think it would really go anywhere. And in my experience, it's kind of that prolonged, you know, absence mm -hmm. potentially, but, um, you know, just taking a couple of days and, I, I've seen two where like, you know, if there's a situation and someone calls the police, the police might say, you know, just take the night, go stay somewhere else, stay separate. So, you know, if it's a couple of days, I don't think that that would have, you know, an impact. Um, okay. What if someone, if, what if someone, uh, you stay out for a couple of days and then they change the locks? So, and this is maybe where the deed and the actual title of the house can come into play, but if you are an owner of the property, you can just call a locksmith and have them change the locks again. <laughs> um, so you can't exclude someone from your house. Um, so that might be a situation where, um, you know, you might have to get the police involved and say, you know, they changed the locks, this is my house, they can't do that. The cops might do something, they, you know, sometimes they just say, this is a civil matter. You need mm -hmm. to talk to the attorney. Um, but, you know, at that point, maybe something like a harassment restraining order or, um, again, just if you have the ability, you could change the locks back. Okay. okay that's interesting. I never thought about it like that. But, yeah, if you're the owner of the house still and you don't have some order to stay out, someone yeah. could be making a lot of money flipping back the locks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another question that we got a little bit earlier was I think something about what what's your opinion about bringing experts in during a divorce process we've heard pros and cons when somebody hires experts paid experts to come in and comment on a case um, I guess it would depend on what type of experts we're talking about so I mean if it's a really high conflict situation and you have you know sometimes courts will order or you can get like a custody evaluation mm -hmm. or something so you know that can be a really good use of resources because it's a neutral third party um you know that's could be appointed by the court to come in and they can make a recommendation um the court doesn't have to follow it um if i mean other experts I see usually would have to do with like valuing property potentially, like an appraiser or something like that. Um, and, you know, those can be beneficial too. Um, okay. I, I don't know if the specific expert they were wondering about. Yeah, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking for custody issues, but I'm not sure. But actually, from what you talked about with assets, there's a question coming in about. What about the fair market value of stuff that someone else took? So not the house, but the but stuff inside the house. And we just got a question with one of our clients the other day. A lot of our clients aren't able to get their stuff back. And the courts ordered the other person to give it back, 
but the other person will be like, oh, I lost it. Oh, I don't know where it is. Like, what does somebody do in a situation like that where it's not the house, but who knows how to value what's in the house? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, a, a, again, different depending on whether it's high conflict or not. But in high conflict situations, um, I usually tell people, you know, if you know it's coming, a divorce is coming, maybe walk through the house and take pictures so you know what's there before okay. you move out one thing. Um, as far as values go, here the judges say it's garage sale value of your stuff. So, really? Yep. So, I mean, unless it's something maybe you just purchased, like furniture or a bedroom set. But otherwise, yeah, it's, what do you think the garage sale value is? Um, which is hard for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Especially sentimental value or something like that. But, um, yeah, that's typically what they say as far as valuing it. Um, the other thing I've seen, which was, you know, in a more high conflict case, was you can have an appraiser come in and they'll walk through with, like, you know, post-its or something, and they'll put a value on everything in your house. Oh, really? So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so then they can, you know, put it in a list or whatever it is and say this is what's there and this is the value. I'm almost wondering, you know, how people talk about prenuptial agreements. I wonder if that's something people should do. Their marriages go around and get a bunch of things valued just in case. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've never heard that one before. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the okay. pictures oh, is a good one. I see like another, you said. Sorry, sorry, Kathy. I, I'm seeing another question. I'm like, oh, this is still related <laughs> to the house, but I don't want you to go on the next topic. All right. So somebody said, um, okay, an order was made for them to have occupancy of the house does that give them a chance to get the house permanently like do you think that would impact because that's like the foundation of the case from the beginning where somebody has occupancy or ex we call it ex exclusive use where I am yeah um, <clears throat> so if it's ordered by the court it I assume it means both people wanted to stay there right then they both people are likely going to want to keep the house after mm -hmm. um, in that case, someone moving out, I don't think that fact would weigh as heavily with the court if they were ordered to leave. Um, but the only situation I've encountered where both people wanted the house and neither of them could reach a decision on what was going to happen, the court just ordered that it was sold and neither party got to keep it. Yeah, we someone was just talking about that the other day. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then another thing that a comment that was made is and I'm thinking about this too, is it worth it just to take stuff when you leave or can you get in trouble for that? What I say, and I have this note too with financial assets, but it doesn't hurt to get control of things as long as you're not concealing them. So, you know, if you're moving and you need, I don't know, a couch, you can take a couch. But don't, you know, know that when it comes to dividing the property, that's still going to be included as something that you had, right? Um, I think it it um, depends, too, as far as what you're taking. I see it a lot with, like, if there are kids, again. And, you know, if you're leaving and you want the kids to come with you, can you take the kid's bed? Mm -hmm. 
can take, you know, their dresser or what are you taking? And I usually, again, in high conflict cases, it's hard, but just be on your best behavior <laughs> and try to do, you know, act reasonably when you're going through and deciding what to take. Okay. Can you be a little more specific because the word reasonable is very tricky in this community. Yes. Um, if you're going to an apartment, for example, you probably don't need to take like your lawnmower because <laughs> you're going to use it. So don't get a storage unit and take the lawnmower and the snowblower and the grill or whatever if you know you're not going to need it and you're just doing it to take it and make mm -hmm. it harder for the other person. If you have four TVs in the house, maybe just take two of them, not all four. Okay. Don't take, don't take all of the, you know, plates and silverware and dishes. Just maybe take what you might need, a couple of them. Okay. So it doesn't look like you're trying to get something over on the other person. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I just thought of something because the dogs are barking in the background. What about pets? What should people do when there's one pet that's a beloved pet usually, and then they're they're leaving? Yeah. So in Minnesota, pets are property. So I mean, I have had a situation where somebody takes the pet with them, and then they kind of exchange the pets like they exchange with the kids. The dog stays with the kids. Mm -hmm. So wherever the kid goes, where the pet goes. Um, but again, I don't think that, you know, if you take the pet with you, um, it would probably just become a contested issue later if it's really a sticking point with people. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't see it, you know, not at the level of like if you took the kids and didn't let the other person see the kid. It's not that significant as far yeah. as pets. Yeah. So we we actually we have had a client that it was a high conflict case involving a dog, and there were no kids involved. Okay. Yeah. 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 So sometimes, and I know that pets are often part of safety planning when there's domestic violence involved, when someone's figuring out what to do, they're supposed to make a plan for the pet, if possible, if they have to leave quickly. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So it's, it's I know it's weird because pets are property, but to most people, they're a family member. So it's, it's very, very emotional. Yeah, it can be for sure. Okay. So hold on one second. Chris, can you please take them downstairs? Sorry. Um, so what other things can people do or what are some of those consequences you talked about that people should watch out for? Yeah, so I know we kind of talked about the house already. Um, the one, well, I got a couple other ones, but um, one that I have experienced recently was um, moving out of state. So it was, you know, in one of those situations where they hadn't actually moved forward with anything um, as far as filing or starting the process, but it was kind of on the horizon. And, you know, one of them, they grew up in different states. So one had family there and one had family here. And so, you know, in an attempt to save the marriage, they moved to this other state. And now, you know, one party was closer to their family and now you live there for enough time 
Now that's, you know, that's the court that's going to have jurisdiction. So, you know, for issues with um, property division, it might be a state that has completely different property division laws than where you lived before. So if it's, you know, a community property state that you moved to or out of, that can really affect a property division. Um, so, I mean, in this case, specifically with the kids, if the kids have lived there for a certain amount of time, that's now the court that gets to decide custody and parenting time. So again, they might have different standards. And once that's where they live, it can be really hard if you want to move now. Do you want to go back to where you guys lived before with your family, but now the kids have established residence in the other state? And so you're kind of stuck there. We, we have some clients where one, their ex took the kids and left the state and then got the kids enrolled in another school. And it's very hard for our client to try to get them back now because the court's saying, well, they've, they're already established. Is there anything yeah. someone could do in that situation? Um, I mean, it would depend on how long the, it, it went on, right? Because you know, here it would be, did they do that with your consent? Whether that was explicit consent or, you know, implied consent because you didn't do anything, right? And you just let them move. Um, so I see it not so much in the divorce context, but custody context mm -hmm. where, um, you know, in, in Minnesota, if you're not married and you have kids, mom automatically has sole custody. Oh, um, really? Yep. So, um, you know, I've seen it where mom wants to move so she tells dad we're moving and then dad can file an emergency petition with the court to prevent it so it really depends on how long um it's going on and, mm -hmm. it, and if you did anything right away to try to stop it so so if this happens in the future for people watching who this hasn't happened to yet if if your ex or if your spouse takes the kids to another state and you're concerned you should jump on this right away. You shouldn't wait because the longer you wait, the more it can harm you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So what other, so, oh, so I saw something about um, emergency support here. Someone ha uh, is trying to get emergency support. They don't have kids and the other person hasn't paid bills um, since the end of October. And I'm guessing this is a stay at home parent. Or sorry, no kids. Stay at home person, but they 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 haven't worked, and now this long term marriage is dissolving. And what are they supposed to do if they don't have any income? Yeah, so probably would need to move forward right away, right? If the other person's not going to agree to it. Um, I know here, um, you know, once you file, we kind of have a case management system that you can't make any temporary relief requests until you have an initial hearing with the judge. Um, and so at that point, you know, you'd say what the issues are. Um, I know, I don't know specifically for spousal support, but I know for child support, um, if you need a temporary order, they can order it back to when you started the proceeding. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, Again, kind of that thing where the sooner you act, the better. It's probably not 
something that you want to wait on and say, well, maybe they'll change their mind or maybe they'll, you know, come around to providing assistance. It's, that's one of those things where you kind of just want to act as soon as yeah. you can. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, what are some um, mistakes that you've noticed people make in the, that you think, ooh, if they knew, if people knew this, then maybe they could avoid those? Um, for property division, the biggest thing I see with property is with non-marital assets. So in, in Minnesota, it's any, anything you acquire during your marriage is marital, regardless of who pays for it or whose name it's in. Um, but non-marital property would be things you owned prior to marriage, um, or anything that you've inherited or been gifted. Those are kind of the biggest ones that I see. Um, and keeping those assets separate from marital assets as much as possible. Mm. So, and with the gifted thing, that's a tricky issue with our people. Very, yeah. very tricky. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's, if you're making the non-marital claim, it's your job to, to prove it. So um, the biggest one I probably see is with real estate. If people own a house before they got married and, and they were, you know, it was just in their name and they paid for it. Um, you want to keep, keep records of what the mortgage balance was when you got married and what the value of the house was. So if that means maybe you have it appraised when, you know, you get married, so you have it. And then um, if you refinance, keep records of that so that you can try to trace it. And then if you sell it during marriage, figure out, what your non-marital part of that is and you know a lot of people roll that into a new purchase so keep records of that because you'll have to prove what you put in um, if you take it out put it in an account and keep it separate don't have your income going in there don't have you know anything else going in there just kind of leave it <laughs> so you can show it's non-marital um, so that's a big one that i get a lot um and ooh, for kids a kid's issue um i have a case right now where they've been separated for a very long time and you know if you have if you have this long separation um what you've kind of been doing for parenting time can hold a lot of weight especially the longer it's going on so i've seen cases where you know mom just had the kids every other weekend and that's what they've been doing for three years and now they're finally going to get a divorce you know a, a, through the courts and mom says well i want 50 percent of the time now and that's going to be very difficult to get so because it's already been established that routine I always yep. think about the, one of the custody factors, like consistency, stability, and routine for the kids. If that's what they're used to, mm -hmm. then uh, we never know, but it sounds like a lot of courts wouldn't want to change that. Yeah. Yep. And that's one of the biggest things that they look at. So. Okay. Interesting. Um, I'm glad actually you validated what we already believe. So I'm glad you said, I always love hearing an attorney says the same thing that we think. Okay, any other things you can think of that people should know? Um, I had some stuff on preparing for a divorce, and 
we talk a lot about this in the second Saturday workshop that I do, which is a national thing through wife.org. So if anybody's watching who um, is interested in that, you can find them all over the country. Um, and we talk about financial spouse versus the non-financial spouse. In a lot of relationships, one person is the one who either makes more money or they are responsible for paying bills and they kind of know what you have and the other spouse might just doesn't know, right? They aren't involved in it. Um, and if you're the non-financial spouse, it's very important to prepare for a potential divorce early, especially in document gathering. So we talk a lot about tax returns, you know, your last three years of tax returns, if you can get them. So whether they're kept in the house or, you know, if you have an accountant, get copies of those. Um, look at them because they can have a lot of information in there. You know, if a spouse is withdrawing from a retirement fund and you didn't know about it or, you know, they don't disclose it, you can look at taxes and see some of those things. Let, um, me, let me ask you something, Kat, because when I, I didn't do, I just signed the tax returns. I didn't pay attention. Yeah. And, um, I I couldn't understand. My divorce lawyer was the one who talked me through and said, "Look at look at what's happening here. He's prepaying the mortgage. He's he's putting it to inflate his um, expenses, and he's not allowed to do that." But I would never know that. Is there like an expert or somebody that you would recommend to sit with a non-financial spouse to go over and explain, you know, and and look for things besides a divorce attorney? Yeah, I think if you could find a good, like, CPA, somebody, you know, who would probably not the person who prepared them, but yeah. someone else. Uh -huh. um, I know that I do the, the second Saturday, the financial person, she's a certified divorce financial mm -hmm. analyst. So mm -hmm. that might be somebody that could um, really sit down and look at the financial aspects of it and see what's been happening and you know, what, what you want to look for or plan for going forward, specifically from a financial standpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. So tell us more about second Saturdays and other things that you, that you go yeah. through that people should pay attention to with preparing. Yes. So another big one is paying off debts. So if you have a lot of credit card debt, if you're, you know, looking towards a divorce, you don't want to be stuck with that. So try to pay off some debt. Um, if the house is something you want to keep, try to do, if you have any deferred repairs, like the furnace needs to be replaced soon, or the roof needs to be done, try to do those while, you know, before the proceeding starts. So you, if you do keep the house, you won't have to worry about those expenses. Mm, good um, any future expenses, like, um, what I've seen is tires for cars because those are pretty expensive so do that um, if it's a situation where you might need to go back to work or return to the workforce do you have clothes do you need to get you know some new stuff so that you know if you have to go back to work you have clothes to wear um, or clothes for kids or things for the kids to make sure you know um, get them some extra clothes so if you do have to leave you can take some with you and they have some you know, at both places. Um, we kind of talked about this one, but getting control of, of funds, but not concealing them. So 
Um, I see this a lot with joint accounts. It's kind of that, you know, 6 p.m. on a Friday, you get a call. He just took all the money out of our joint account, and I don't know what to do. Um, so I tell people to get your own account at a different bank. Um, one issue we see a lot, because there's a lot of small towns nearby, but um, go to a different bank or a larger bank because we see a lot with small town banks, husband goes into the bank or wife goes in and says, oh yeah, my husband, you know, they have a new account. Can you tell me how much is in it? Or, you know, some they, they ask questions about it or try to get information on it. And a small town bank is going to be more likely to give that information out if they know you or they're like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's wife. Like we know them. It's fine. Oh my we can give them the information. That, I can't imagine that happening around here at <laughs> Oh, wow, that's you guys in the Midwest. <laughs> that would never happen here. <laughs> so get your own bank account set up, preferably at a new bank. Um, you know, if you know that the dissolution is imminent, make sure you switch over your direct deposits. If you have a check pay stub or paychecks going into your account, make sure you have that new account so you can switch it over. Um, and one that people don't think about a lot is if you've done estate planning, a lot of estate plans include a power of attorney, which mm. could just, in Minnesota, we have a statutory form that you don't have to be incapacitated to use. So if you have done that and you've named your spouse, um, they could take that to the bank and then get access or information to assets. So, you know, if you do go to a new bank, just do a revocation and give it to them so they know if anybody comes in with a power of attorney that that's you've revoked wow. it. Wow, that is so important. That's the first time I've heard that because I think when we think of power of attorney, we think when someone's sick or about mm -hmm. to die, but we don't think about it in cases like this. Yeah. Yeah. And take it with you too. If you have the original, a lot of places require the original. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, if you have, I, I tell people to open a credit card that's just in your name and, and don't put a lot on it, but if you need it, it's there. Um, and then it's also really important to create a budget. So you want to know what your expenses are now and what those might be going forward. And so you can maybe plan for those and, and save as much as you can. And, um, you know, it can help if, there's a maintenance claim or something like that too, as far as what your expenses were or are going to be going forward. That's why I was just, you answered my question. I was going to say, is that something that you can use in court to say, this is why I, this is what we're going to need and should be able to justify it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Is that any, anything else or that there's your list? Yeah, that was kind of all the notes that I had on it. So, well, that's, that's so helpful, especially that last step with the financials. I know we didn't get into a lot of custody stuff, which is fine, because that would take another few hours. But that's really, really helpful about the financials. Can you, um, before you go, can you just tell us, let me just check the time, because I know you have to pick up children. But can you um, just tell us again about the second Saturday, what that is, if anyone's interested? Yeah, so it's through wife.org, um, and it's, a, a divorce workshop and um, we have people that are in all stages of the process, but 
Um, it's really good for people who are thinking about getting a divorce or kind of in those initial stages. And there's um, an attorney or a legal person that will talk about the legal aspects. So what that looks like and talk about the court process and, and the, the rules in your state about what needs to be decided and what a court will look at. Um, there's a financial person. So like I said, I have, um, her name is Jill and she's a certified divorce financial analyst. So she can give a lot of information specifically on the financial side of it. Um, and, and then we have a really great counselor and her name's Rhonda. And she talks a lot about, you know, the self-care and the emotional aspects and how do you talk to your kids and, and things like that um, from that, you know, emotional family dynamic perspective. Um, and yeah, so we, it's once a month and as the name kind of, yes, it's on the second Saturday, usually of every month. So <laughs> yeah, the name of the group is called second Saturday. Someone just said it and we'll, I'll try to remember to put that in the, the caption of this interview. But thank you so much, Kathy, for, for coming on and especially answering like these little questions here and there for all the tips. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Okay, and I'll see you soon. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Been There Got Out podcast. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us easily on all major social media, but especially Instagram and YouTube. If you think we might be able to help you with your own situation, just visit beentheregotout.com and click the button to schedule a complimentary discovery call. Thanks again, and see you next time.